Hello? Hello? Ja, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the iSpot is the podcast about polar science and the people. We talk to scientists who went on board Polarstern, the German research icebreaker, for the biggest research expedition in the Arctic. Welcome back to the iSpot, the podcast about polar science and the people, which is also the official podcast for the Polar Prediction. Yes. We are Kirsten Werner and on the other part of the line, it's... <laughs> it's Sara Pasqualetto. Hi, Sara. Hi, Kirsten. Today we are meeting... Online. Online with a new tool called Squadcast. Yes. We are trying this because we are put home. We have to stay home. Circumstances ask us to... Yes not move around too much so we have to be creative and thankfully there are these very technologically advanced <laughs> solutions so that we can still talk to you yeah. from our from the comfort of our, of our home so how are you at the moment everything is fine i'm good healthy yes yeah healthy still fit still everything is still working how are you I have to say that my time that I was panicking is uh, over for some days, but it was really, I mean, you felt like you were in a bad movie or something. Yeah, that's for true. A while, or, or in the wrong movie, so to say. Um, yeah. Yeah, something that nobody could have imagined. So what does this coronavirus situation mean for the podcast now? This means that we will probably have to be, yeah, a bit more creative on how we record our things but we aim to still come to your devices whatever they are somewhat regularly i yeah. would say it's a super fresh news 20 minutes ago i think the norwegian polar institute tweeted the first picture of leg two people uh, in Tromsø, so the Kapitat Dranitsin stayed along a bit longer than expected underway for difficult ice conditions and also like storms. They have to they had to wait on the ice floor for a storm, but now they are finally back. I was thinking about it. They were like isolated for a lot of time, like months, in the Arctic, and then they are coming back and probably say isolated a little bit more in their home. Yeah, but at least it's. And this is, I mean, we are talking about um, like two. So people who went to like two and yes. they left home. Oh my God, when was that? In November, some somewhat in November, because they wanted to arrive mid December or something. So they did the exchange. Today is thirty first of March. So like three with Stephanie and actually she sends us uh, interesting emails um, every now and then. So they're right now working there. And um, as far as I understood, like three is going to be extended uh, into into May. So Steffi just sent an email. She is um, she is expecting not not to be home actually before July. Yeah. They have to make big adjustments too, not necessarily because of like people getting sick, but well, countries are closing or taking measurements against this, and this make logistics a bit harder than exactly. than planned. Yeah, yeah, you cannot really plan for a pandemic on this kind yes. of projects. <laughs> 
um, this will be a quite long episode, Sarah, right? We it's gonna be a, lo a bit longer than than the at least the latest two. Yeah. Uh, but it's very insightful. We have a lot of interesting information, especially here if you're into into satellites and remote sensing observation, because this is actually part two of a, of a remote sensing series, exactly. let's say. Yeah. And our our guest Gunnar Spreen from the University of Bremen is talking about his work. And I think it goes very deep into like how the things functioning. And for me, at least it was very, very interesting. Yeah, you can learn a lot. Having having listened to both, to Stefan Hendrik's um, remote sensing episode, and now to this one will give you some really pro inside um, knowledge on uh, satellites. Yeah, that's true. You have a pro certificate from, from the iSpot on remote sensing. You get a pro stamp. Yeah. Whoever may, makes it through both episodes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the heroes. But so if you feel challenged by the length, we really recommend you to go to the Spotify playlist that Gunnar Spreen created. And you can find this this playlist on Spotify. It's the iSpot minus Gunnarspin. Right. It's a really cool playlist. Okay, so we don't want to let you wait any longer. So then, yeah, have fun with this episode and uh, send us feedback to um, our email, which is polarprediction at gmail.com. Yes. So enjoy. Hi. Welcome back to the IcePod, the podcast about polar science and the people. Hello, everyone. We're here in the studio of Radio Visa TV again with Sarah Pasqualetto. Yes, that's me. And Kirstin Werner. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> and that's you. <laughs> and we have another guest here. This is Gunnar Spreen today. Hi, Gunnar. Hi. Hello. I'm happy to be here. We're happy you are here with us. So Gunnar is um, actually not from the Alfred Wegener Institute, but yes, he is right. from the University of Bremen. He is the head of the research group Remote Sensing of Polar Regions. And yeah. he uses satellites to monitor the sea ice extent. For example, yeah. yeah. So as you can hear, we have another episode on remote sensing today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because we think sea ice is really important, also for the year of polar prediction, which is this podcast about. Exactly. Yeah. Always good to say that. <laughs> yes. And um, also, I mean, the remote sensing, there was actually a really nice sentence I found somewhere, Gunnar, in my many... Many papers. Many papers, which is actually a really nice thing. I started to read a chapter, to nine, ah, okay. chapter yeah. nine of the book Sea Eyes, yeah. third edition. And here in your chapter nine, you say... Without satellites, we would know much less and with lower confidence about sea ice and the climate in the polar regions. Yeah, I still think that is very true. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. We think that too. So. <laughs> no, but it's uh, really this that you can look everywhere in the Arctic, which is making satellites maybe a bit unique. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I mean, one maybe, I don't know if it's famous example, what I, I like to say about that is, for example, that we had this minimum sea ice extent in 2012. If you would have been on Svalbard or on Greenland, on the east coast, coast of Greenland mm -hmm. in summer, you would have said, oh, this is a year with a lot of sea ice. We have oh, a really? lot of sea ice. Hmm. Because actually in that region, there was an anomaly, a positive anomaly. A lot of sea ice was actually leaving the Arctic through Fram Strait between okay. Svalbard yeah. and 
Greenland. So if you would just have been someone on Greenland, you would say, oh, this was a really maximum sea ice here. Uh -huh. But only by looking with satellites in the whole Arctic, we know that this was an exceptional minimum in 2012. Yeah. And you did see that on the satellites yes. exactly that year? So Sure, yeah. yeah. We monitor it every yeah. day. We see that. Okay. Yeah. So Gunnar, you're back uh, from the cruise since early January, right. I think. So uh, my first question would be, how did you have your eggs on Thursday and Sunday? <laughs> oh, no, you already heard about the, the eggs. Uh, I like scrambled eggs. So then they have something, I think they call it the Mexican or something like that, where you get um, yeah, some veggies with the, with the eggs together okay. mixed uh, as scrambled eggs. So, so you I always like. had this? That I had sometimes, sometimes I just had regular um, fr um, yeah, fried eggs with some bacon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, good. Yeah. Were there many other kind of eggs or like what kind of eggs were they? I mean, I guess yeah, boiled, boiled and eggs, yeah. Um, and I the think you could German. also get, get omelets, but I never got that. But I think you could order an omelet. So the, it, it was called eggs to your choice. So you, you can mm -hmm. choose. Um, but yes, it was an only two times per week later. In the beginning, we could order it more often. But oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they had... Yeah, counted the eggs in the end. <laughs> yeah, in the end it increased again, but there was some egg shortage and some other shortages of some, okay, some things. Okay. Yeah, obviously, obviously salads and uh, veggies uh, were reduced after a while. Um, but yeah, you sure. survived. Oh, no, uh, there was a lot of food, so no, no question about that. Maybe not everybody got what they liked most, but uh, no one had to starve. More the opposite. I mean, it's a lot of heavy food, a lot of uh, meat and fish. That was always How did you do on, your, on the weight count? Is it too soon to ask that question? No, I think <laughs> it's exactly the moment for asking. Right. <laughs> so what do you say? No, it's, I, I actually kept my weight, maybe even reduced it slightly, which was the first time. So it was my first time on Polash. And I think it was the first time I even reduced the weight a little okay. bit. Uh, but it was kind of constant. not having cake every day, we learned from the last guest. So there was <laughs> at some point only cookies. And not for exactly. great disappointment of Kirsten, yes. which was very desperate to learn yeah. that. Yeah, so, okay, you already heard about our shortages, which were then cakes and eggs, yes. so on a very high standard. <laughs> but yes, it was a bit different than maybe on some other cruises. Uh, but, and actually, this is all resolved now, I think now with the Capitan uh, Dranitsin icebreaker between like one and two, they brought in a, a lot of eggs. food, eggs, potentially. <laughs> and, ah, uh, so they couldn't bake the cake because of of eggs. Now oh, the baking queen yeah. comes into place. <laughs> I think there was butter, um, which anyway then yes. should have been replaced by some uh, veggie uh, fat on oils. Okay. But that was, mm -hmm. I think, anyway how it should be. And I think even the no normal uh, white flour was then. Okay. So uh, there were some shortages of something. Okay. Anyway, something. I mean, still. Gunnar looks good. We can confirm. <laughs> yes. Even yeah. though he lost some no. weight, maybe he gained some weight no, after uh, he came back again. We yeah, don't know. Yeah, probably actually, yes. <laughs> and actually, yeah, uh, just to say that, I mean, yes, despite that there are not everything is available uh, at any time um, uh, on the cruise, which maybe one also shouldn't expect on something like yeah. that. But the, the, the food was actually good. I mean, it's, mm. it's um, if you've been on Polar Stern, it's actually quite good um, chef. <laughs> Actually, you have an interesting CV, I would say. So you yeah. started in the University of Hamburg studying physics, physics yeah. and then doing a PhD in oceanography. And then 
after that, you went, went to, to California. US. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, stayed there three years. Yeah, it's yeah. a normal uh, postdoc. I mean, it was already mm -hmm. initiated a little bit uh, through my, my PhD and then through contacts of my supervisor. I, I had actually the really nice opportunity to go there to uh, NASA Jet Propulsion Lab Laboratory in California and do my postdoc there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, was there for three and a half years. And Did you go surfing? Uh, no, actually not. <laughs> I watched uh, people serving. Yeah. I w wonder, maybe I should have started there, but actually we were not living at the sea. So mm -hmm. in, e even in, in Pasadena, where, where JPL is and where we were living, that is, um, yeah, 45 minutes drive mm -hmm. under good conditions for, for, um, in terms of uh, cars. And um, normally it's more like an hour to get through traffic to, to the beach from okay. there. Mm -hmm. So it's actually... From Bremen, I probably also can drive to the North Sea in the same time. Yeah, but then you decided to go to Norway <laughs> after yes. quite yes. a job <laughs> in <Yes>. California. <laughs> yes, it was quite a change in environment. How yes. did that happen? Yeah, I mean, this was an over. I mean, this was mm. a, a postdoc contract, which I actually were running out. And um, so I was applying for jobs. And I have had been in contact with the Norwegian Polar Institute already a little bit before. So... Uh, yeah, they knew me a little bit from some visit or some conference at least, which was there before. And then they had this permanent position uh, announced, mm -hmm. which then is obviously also attractive and yes. was just my field of work in sea ice um, and remote sending. So I applied and got the job and then worked in Norway. And what did you bring you then to Bremen <laughs> after having a permanent <laughs> position in beautiful Tromsø? Okay, so you would have stayed. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it it wasn't easy. Actually, I, I liked it a lot in Norway. It's a nice people, nice work environment. Also, so in the, the science environment, it's a bit uh, different than in Bremen. Here's a full university and with, with Avi next to it, obviously, as so the Alfred Wigner Institute is quite a bit larger than the Norwegian Polar Institute mm -hmm. or so. But um, so here, yeah, it's also a lot of things going on, but sometimes can be actually a little bit hard to keep track of that I, I have the feeling at the university i don't even know what everybody is doing it's very diverse and at rv have the same feeling that there are yeah, a lot of different sections and it's hard to to keep track of that and then in norway and in, in Tromsø, it works actually quite well the nature is gorgeous so yeah. if it's not raining or if it's good weather in, in Tromsø, i think it's probably yeah, one of the nicest places one one can be really but really still beautiful you went back yeah, to but germany still i went back to germany <laughs> and uh, i think it's a bit about i mean most of my friends are here, okay. my, my parents, my sister is here. And yeah, it's Trump, so it's also extreme, one has to say. The sun is not rising and there's some dim yeah. sunlight in winter for two hours, which you only see if there are now clouds. But then it's very long that this winter lasts. So yes. it's until end of May or into May, normally to the celebration 17th of May snow it's a little bit gone and everything is cleaned up but still it's it's a long mm. time and uh, it's starting earlier uh, in yeah in september it's really a short yeah. fall and then it's winter so it's a it's a long time where it's um yeah there's not very green yeah. it's really winter and you never got to actually wear flip-flops in summer and even, and I think. Yeah, and the two. <laughs> that would have been an issue for me. What an outrage. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, 
Yeah, summer I can be if the weather is good. Also, really, really nice. And you, then you have the sun twenty four hours, yeah. so that's good. But it's not that you would sit outside in the evening mm. for a barbecue the whole right. night and yeah. not getting cold. You will sit there then still because it's maybe maximum twenty degrees with a quite yeah. Yeah, thicker jacket. Yeah. Or, yeah. Did you always uh, wanted to become a CI scientist? <laughs> what What does always mean? <laughs> like as a child? <laughs> no, actually not. <laughs> Oh, I, um, what was your plan? Originally? What I want to be become? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when you're very young, you have always these... Uh, I, I mean, I, I was always interested in technical things. So mm -hmm. I, I studied physics. I guess when I was was uh, deciding for physics, it was not about Arctic, but I was already looking also into the option to study something more like geophysics or metrology. So I was always a little okay. bit interested in nature and, and physics. And then somehow I thought, oh, now I want to do physics. I want to have this really deep understanding of everything, the, the yeah, world yeah. and so on, which in, in the end I got a bit bored by. And then I wanted to do more yeah, earth science so mm -hmm. to, to have something more practical. Mm -hmm. That I got stuck maybe was in, uh, uh, due to a tiny choice. So I, I got offered then for, for my master thesis or at that time it was diploma by it was there was two topics. One was to, to look with satellite data into apple trees and one was to look at sea ice. And oh, so, and you had to make a choice. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, well, that's how it is. trees are nice. Yes, too. exactly. <laughs> but, but how how, so you, question, how could you my, make that yes. choice? <laughs> well, I'm asking myself, what would have happened if I would have selected apple trees? Huh. Maybe I wouldn't sit here. Maybe I would have just done, because that was my plan. My plan was to do master thesis and then find a job outside of academia because I was not... Uh, not very. I, I mean, I liked studying, but I was not seeing that I was really staying at, in academia and in, in my physics studies. Mm -hmm. I was not so interested. Mm -hmm. And but then, okay, I selected sea ice. Somehow that sounded maybe more exotic, more interesting, and I didn't know anything about it, so it was very nice. Um, you knew a lot about apple trees already. <laughs> I knew how they taste, and I didn't know how sea ice tastes, at least. <laughs> For sure, I can That's say okay. Gunnar wouldn't be sitting here if he would have studied apple trees. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> sure and thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So Gunnar, you brought some really nice music, actually a really a great playlist we can thumbs up for the playlist already this one is nice so you should really <laughs> go and uh, look for it on spotify mm -hmm. just find i think how the ice pod minus gunnarsbreen yes oh. that's the playlist how it's called and the first song it's um it's called northern lights yeah. by death cup for cutie and um this was a song you picked because you listened to it um because your wife did at home Yeah, Coming kind back. of. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, she, 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 that was not a that song, but uh, she, she said, so we were on the concert of Death Cup for QD in so the same year. So where was that? We looked up all yeah. the concerts of in Death Cup. In, in Hamburg. And it was in a bit early, early. Yeah, I think April or something ah, like that. Ah, yeah. okay. It yeah. was not directly before the cruise, yeah. but it was, I, I would say, the, the biggest concert in, in that year I've been to. Um, And then she wrote me during I was on the cruise that there was a new short EP. I think it was mm -hmm. only a short album of Death Cop for Cutie coming out. The new EP. Yeah, um, I now forgot the name of that album. You wrote that down here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, well, that's the name even of the album. Yeah. And um, so yeah, she she wrote me that she's listening to that, and then I also was listening to some older um, Death Cop for Cutie song, and then I picked that song because it's called Northern Lights, which is then obviously very fitting to. Um, to, to the theme. More, yeah, theme. 
Mosaik. Yeah, we're back. We managed. <laughs> also with the technical stuff. Yes. Because here it's always a bit different from the from the times before. So now we are using a computer to play our music. And last time we had a phone. The time before we didn't even have the phone. We, we were just playing <laughs> on the, on the table. And you do very well, Sarah, I have to say. You do too. Sarah is the DJ. Sarah is the DJ. I just put all my papers on, yes. on the... <laughs> but we're a good team I have Absolutely. to say you know you know when they say that there is like the left side of the brain and the and the right side oh. of the brain you're definitely the more creative one oh, and okay. maybe I, I I mean I don't have any papers here and like you're you're spreading okay and this part of the interview maybe we dig a little bit deeper on the some actual science then we will try to spread it out also in the rest of the episode but just to um to know Gunnar more uh, from the scientific point of view we want to do we want to know what you do actually so we interviewed Stefan Hendricks on the previous episode Mm -hmm. which is also remote sensing guy so you're on the dream team of the remote sensing close yes very close exactly and you were on the on the remote sensing team on on mosaic but he made it clear immediately he he is like CI's thickness his expertise is really CI's thickness is that yours too or do you Um, look at something no, Something else. Actually, um, we, it's, it's maybe a little bit different. So in my PhD, I did also CI thickness from a laser altimeter uh, at that point. And Stefan's looking at a radar altimeter, so different frequencies okay. in the microwave. Otherwise, yeah, um, we are looking at the ice area, which is the CI's concentration, probably the most used um, satellite CI's data set because that is where we're having this... Yeah, really incredibly long time series, more than 40 years now. The satellite is basically looking and has footprints or has uh, some area which where the information is coming from. And when th- within that area, we are saying, okay, there is 30% water and 70% ice or so. Mm-hmm. And that is then called the concentration of ice within the measurement um, footprint of the satellite. But the concentration does not depend on how thick the sea ice exactly. is. Or, yeah. Ideally, not at all. Mm. Uh, for very, very thin ice, then there is um, some uncertainties coming in and that's maybe some other thing to add. Also, Ste- Stefan has to work with a lot. Nowadays, we are working a lot about determining the accuracy. So to so say something, okay, how accurate can we actually estimate the sea ice concentration and trying to improve mm. the methods. And that's also one of the things we're really like to do during mosaic so we can actually already get some estimates like eye thickness and ice types and snow um, from satellites since a long time but very often we have for some of these parameters we have very large uncertainties because so there are some things these tie points they are determined just by measurements but they are changing due to um, the temperature um, of the ice, uh, gr- uh, snow grain sizes, salinity, all kind of um, parameters um, mm. throughout the year. And that is then causing uncertainty. So mm. if we would know that better, if we could model that, the really the emission from the ice and the snow, we could also make better estimates of, of for example, sea ice concentration mm-hmm. or area. That we already can do quite well, but if it then comes to other parameters like yeah, ice thickness, um, ice type, um, snow on sea ice, there are, the uncertainties sometimes are quite big. 
What is so. the most annoying uncertainty that you have to deal with? I, I can't imagine. I mean, there, okay. are, there are, of course, many, and then you want to do something, so then you like, ah, come on. So, so I'm, I'm the sea ice guy, yeah? <laughs> and, and yeah, sea ice is nice, I, I guess, also, and at least on the episodes I heard, everybody likes sea ice. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> We like sea ice, too. No, but that's the nice thing, actually, then now about mosaics. So what is annoying for me sometimes in the measurement that these are then, for example, clouds. The mm -hmm. microwave, we can penetrate clouds, mm -hmm. but they still influence our measurements okay. to some degree. Also, water vapor and some other atmospheric parameters are uh, actually influencing our measurements. Um, so that's an, uh, annoying, um, and I don't know a lot about that. But on the other hand, this is obviously then what other people with the same instrument want to measure. Then they want to measure actually how much water vapor is there. Mm -hmm. as, yeah. How come a satellite can measure through the sea ice, mm -hmm. and you still have the cloud? I mean, the cloud issue. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the, uh, so why are we measuring in the microwave? Is because the the clouds are almost transparent, but they are not okay. completely. I mean, it's yeah. like you would uh, if you have your tr transparency um, in your presentation, you just can look through it, but still you have a little bit of influence there. Mm -hmm. And for very low frequency, it's pro practically completely transparent, but depending on your frequency. We have some influence of that. Can we talk about some basic understanding about satellites? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so the moment to I do understood that. from this very nice uh, chapter nine I already mentioned. Yeah, where is it? If you really want to learn something, I think uh, you have to read that. And I couldn't, I didn't have the time to read all of it. So I have the question now for you. So I understood there are satellites who send out something yeah. and then like an altimeter, for example, yes. and then they measure the yes. distance between, for example, the sea ice surface and the, the satellite. satellite. Exactly. Yeah. So they're okay. measuring the time difference. Yeah. So they're the sending out a signal and then waiting, waiting until it comes back. And okay. then when you know the speed of light and how it's influenced by the atmosphere, uh -huh. you know the distance. And then there are also satellites who just measure the radiation from exactly. the surface. Yeah. That is more like a thermal emission. So like what people now, if you are if, if you are in your oven and it's getting very hot, so even mm. you, you feel that even without touching it, you're feeling yeah. the radiation. And that is in the infrared domain. There are even humans, we, we can feel that. And obviously our, our Earth with the temperature is emitting strongest in the infrared domain according to its, its temperature. Mm -hmm. But a few magnitudes lower also coming in the microwave mm. spectrum out, caused by this thermal emission in the infrared. And that's what we are measuring. We are measuring basically just due to the temperature of the Earth, Earth what is emitted from the Earth. If, if the Earth would be completely cold at, at zero Kelvin, it wouldn't emit anything. But because mm -hmm. it has a temperature, It's emitting strongest in the infrared. So yeah, why are we not me measuring in the infrared? We are also doing that, but then we're having the cloud problem. Mm -hmm. Then we cannot, the infrared radiation is not going through the clouds. It's also very nice, also used a lot. You see the leads, so the open water in the sea is very well. Mm -hmm. If there are no clouds, also in winter. But if we want to see it all the time without clouds, we have to go to the microwave domain because there the clouds are almost transparent or the atmosphere in general is almost transparent. And that's the advantage why th there's these long time series in the microwave. We can measure independent of daylight, independent of clouds, mm. everywhere. It's also, I've talked about the altimeters. 
there you have a, um, one stripe actually only under the satellite. So you're just looking down and that's one and a half kilometers wide. So um, now imagine, I mean, Polarstern, the nearest coast is 1,000 kilometers. The Arctic is quite big, thousands of kilometers. You're having the satellites going around the Earth and 14 times per day, you have this one kilometer wide stripe of mm. measurement. So you have to wait a long time until you've covered everything. With the microwave uh, radiometers, we're having a swath width, so a width where we're getting information from about 2,500 kilometers and some have 3,000 okay. kilometers. So we are covering the complete Arctic with these sensors every day completely. Except mm. for the pole hole. Except for the pole hole, yeah. Uh, and Which is that? Can you explain once again? <laughs> yeah, that's an um, satellite. Uh, I mean, satellite is just a word for, for very different thi uh, things. Maybe first also to mention, so many people know satellites from TV reception or things like that. Mm -hmm. These are the geostationary satellites, which are actually quite high up um, and which are basically above the equator. What we are mostly using uh, in, in polar science anyway, we have to use it, um, are the, orbit, uh, the, the polar orbiting satellites, so which are flying around the Earth, and they are flying around the Earth roughly 14 times per, per day. But they are not flying exactly over the pole, but they are flying normally a few Slightly. degrees off, uh, mm. eight degrees um, off the pole. And that means um, if they would just look nadir, like uh, explained before, there would be yeah, there would be actually a very big pole hole. Nadia means? Um, looking straight down. Right, yeah. mm. yes. Um, and yeah, normally they are at, um, at a latitude of about 82 degrees north. So North Pole is 90 degrees. So yeah. there's a big area. Polarstern uh, is, is now covered. at 88 degrees north. So it wouldn't be all covered by, by polar orbiting satellites, which are a lot of the Earth observation satellites. So, but what, because in these satellites have this very wide swath, so a very wide area where they actually can look of 3,000, up to 3,000 kilometers, that means and then they are getting closer to the pole, but there's still a little hole left. Because Polarstern is right now in the pole hole. Yeah. It's not the pole hole. Well, it's different for different satellites. So the there satellite, are actually, yes. there are actually some satellites which are always uh, can look to the pole. Um, okay. But most of them, like this passive microwave radiometers, they can still look where pollution is right now. But at some point, there will be also a tiny little pole hole. And then for these higher resolution radar data, which I mentioned before, the SAR data, the synthetic aperture radar data, there's a big European program, a Copernicus program um, mm -hmm. of satellites, different satellite series. And one of them is this Sentinel-1 SAR satellite. And that is, uh, it's actually really, really great. What this is funded by is by the EU and yeah, then executed by ESA, but it's a great new tool of having free satellite data available for everybody. Actually, everybody can just register um, and download satellite data from Polarstern, basically. Hmm. And that is stopping now roughly where Polarstern is. Oh, so yeah. that, that mm -hmm. particular Sentinel-1 satellite which we are using a lot because it has a bit higher resolution um, and giving us information where there are leads in the eyes. And that data is stopping there. But we have some other satellites which can look there. Okay. Um. What is your favorite satellite? <laughs> 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 my favorite satellite right now doesn't exist uh, yet. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my favorite satellite because we are working on it. So we are um, part of um, what is called then uh, mission advisory group. So um, basically giving the science input to this Copernicus mission of a new mm -hmm. passive microwave radiometer, which is called SIMR. 
Copernicus was imaging microwave radiometer. Simmer. Simmer, yeah. Okay. So that will launch earliest in 2025, probably more like 2027. Ah. But all of this preparation is now ongoing. And because so now I'm now working with, a lot with that, it's my favorite satellite. Ah. But not really seriously. I would have to think about that. Uh, so so what does, have, does this satellite will have in compared to the yeah. others? This will have the two things. It will be able to look to the pole, so there will be mm -hmm. no pole hole. Ah, okay. And it will do something like the sea ice area and many other parameters, um, basically everywhere in the Arctic every day, several times, but uh, still having a little bit higher spatial resolution. So right now we, we talked about this long time series of the ice area, but the spatial resolution, so, so the area, the smallest area we can resolve on, on, on the surface is, um, yeah, depends on the satellite, but it's at least five kilometers and uh, only there for some frequencies. And now we are with this sat satellite, we will also have this better than five kilometer spatial resolution, but with, with many, many more frequencies. And um, so we're getting basically yeah, a higher resolution uh, time series of Yes, sea ice type, also snow on sea ice, eye thickness, and so on. And what do you do then when you receive all this data? Because I mean, you're looking at it, and 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 then and then what happens? Yeah. <laughs> do, I mean, we learned last time that you receive numbers, most of anything, like not well, really. What would you expect? Yeah, it's, uh, numbers. Yeah. Not a photo. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that that would that was my yeah. <laughs> we thought you just looked at nice pictures yeah, all day. Exactly, <laughs> but it, it's numbers. And then what do you do with those numbers? Yeah. So there are these kind of close to photo like satellites, and even then th these are not photos because they are always measurements. Um, but for most things like in the microwave domain, we have to even yeah, translate it into something first a human can comprehend and also actually to a more geophysical quantity. So what we are measuring, yeah, at the very beginning is even yeah, just numbers counts from a sensor that is then maybe converted to something which is the measured quantity. In that example of a microwave radiometer, it's called then brightness temperature. So it's not the temperature of the object, but something which has to do with emissivity, which has to do then as changed by the sea ice and so on. So getting all very complex, but exactly that, no one wants to know that. No one is interested in brightness <laughs> temperatures. People are interested in their eyes, how thick is the eyes, or something like that. And uh, our our work then is basically to to develop methods to go from this very abstract measurement variables mm -hmm. to a geophysical quantity people are interested in um, understanding. And then there are the two sides. One is for for modeling, so that it can be put into models, uh, or for operations, how thick is the ice there, or then you can use it for if you want to go by ship there. Yeah, if you're just interested in climate, how large is the sea ice area? How much has it changed? Um, yeah, then you don't want to have brightness temperatures and you want to know how big is the area of sea ice every day. And that's what we are basically, this translation is also kind of modeling between the measurement and the geophysical quantity. Are you sending any of these, or like, are you in contact at all with the with the sea ice portal at, at AVI? Or like, yes. are you sending, what yeah. so I mean, what you do you provide them? I mean, that's actually the nice thing about the sea ice portal, the sea ice portal. It's, it's hosted at AVI, but it's a, it's a general portal about um, sea ice where everybody can contribute. And we are also contributing to, to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
What are you sending there? No, um, um, we are sending the CIS concentration data mm -hmm. there. It's automatically sent there every day. And based on that, then they make some graphs out of it, how the CIS is developing. And then there is interpretation of, of data. I think last week I even also wrote a short um, mosaic news or something like that, what they call it. Every week there's one short news item about how, what's going on in mosaic. Mm -hmm. That's what we are also doing, writing um, uh, short articles or together with people at my Keeping us updated on what yeah. is going on there. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank you for your service too. <laughs> <laughs> We have another another song that you brought that has to do with seasickness. Yes. <laughs> and so the the song is Schwere See, Elements of Crime. Heavy Seas. Heavy yeah. Seas in translated for non-German speakers as myself. You connected the song to to seasickness. I mean, we're talking about heavy seas, right? And you are seasick. Yeah, I got seasick. Yeah. One more point to love sea ice. So I'm looking always very much forward to getting into the ice first. It's a very nice view if you're approaching the ice, you see the first ice flows. But you also know it's the end of any seasickness <laughs> if there was any. <laughs> like again, and now it's over, thankfully. Okay. Yeah, because the question. ice is damping all the waves. So here's my uh, question: Did you use those <laughs> wristbands we uh, were talking in the I, first episode? Uh, I don't know that, but I don't use them. I I sometimes take the pills. Uh, I take the pills. They yeah. are really working. Mm. Um, yeah, he's looking at me like not oh, really believing that. No, I, 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 I that is working, you know what I'm talking yes, about? Know, yes, yeah. okay, okay. Before we hear the song, so why is the Arctic sea ice covered ocean so calm? I mean, why aren't there heavy seas wherever there is sea ice? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's basically the, the mass of the sea ice damping the waves. So it's, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, if you, yeah, what, what, if you you put things on your whatever if you have your cup of tea and you, if you would put something um, on, on top on yeah yeah for example <laughs> or even the crumbs of a cookie you would yeah. see that all these waves are uh, damped down and that's what the sea ice is doing if it's, i ever uh, had waves in my tea <laughs> yeah you can shake it a little bit you can try okay, it out is it? Uh, ah, okay yeah. so it has yeah, it's uh, the, the mass of the sea ice which then has to be moved is directly damping all the the short waves and then you have the swell going in the sea ice quite a long time can even be be dozens of kilometers mm -hmm. but then this is only the swell and the amplitude is going down so normally that's not what you're getting seasick of anymore so so with an incre uh, decreased arctic sea ice Small waves, we already have that. We, yeah, you can yeah, yeah, yeah. see that. That's actually one of the bigger changes. Um, uh, uh, the Arctic is a bit special. It's this Mediterranean Sea. So yes. before, even in summer, basically the whole Arctic Ocean was covered by sea ice. There was not a lot of open water there. But now in summer, we're having large, huge, huge areas of open water, which is also then big enough that uh, fetch can build, so that really swell can build. So you need wind and open water for a long uh, stretch, a long area, which is some building up these higher waves, not mm -hmm. these tiny little waves. Mm -hmm. And those we are having now in fall, these waves are then actually destroying the ice. So in the ice margins, uh, if you have a big flow and then there's a big wave going in, you can imagine it's breaking in pieces. And mm -hmm. it's really like that. It's immediately if you have a storm and waves are going in, the sea ice is not disappearing, but it's breaking apart in small, mm -hmm. small pieces. And then the ocean water is a little bit warmer. And if you have all these small pieces in that, that's actually melting the ice laterally much faster. 
And that is uh, absolutely something we are seeing that the influences of waves have increased mm. uh, in the Arctic Ocean mm. and are then um, yeah, contributing to the even further melting yeah. in during summer. Even further uh, amplifying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's again, that's only then summer and winter, yeah. everything is fro freezing over <laughs> again. And then, uh, yeah, we are having what we're having now, a completely frozen Arctic Ocean. That's, okay. uh, so then let's listen to Element of Crime. Yes. Schwere See. We're back with Gunnar Spreen here at the studio of Radio Weser TV in Bremerhaven for the iSpot, the podcast about polar science and the people. And um, Gunnar, so you're back here from the Arctic since more than almost two months now, I would yeah, say. Almost, yeah. But you're following quite closely what happens on Mosaic, right? Yes, sure. Can you give a brief update what's going on right now? <laughs> so Dranitsin is still not reaching Polarstern? Yeah, I mean, that is when, at the time we are recording now, um, yes. the, the exchange hasn't happened. Um, they are approaching quite okay the last days. There were some slow days before, and this has to do... So if the ice pressure is building up, uh, normal powered icebreaker like Kapitan Ranitsin cannot go through that. So then you have to wait until the ice relaxes again and you find some leads. Okay, so Kapitan Dranitsin is still, still trying going, to go uh, to... Current estimates are that they would be there in three to four days, mm -hmm. which is quite some time later than the ideal date. So um, it was always... Uh, there's a date. We have plans, obviously. And then this would, would have been the mid of... Uh, mid of the month, so 15th was the official change exchange date. Then that everybody has this two month legs. And, and today is the 26th. Six. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So there, there, there were some delays in the beginning where they had to mm -hmm. wait for, uh, out a storm in the Barents Sea, and then the progress in the ice was very slow. Maybe not even very slow, but yeah, slow. And um, yeah, now that's the result that they have to wait even a bit longer. Now they're in the reach of the helicopters from Polarstern. So probably already right now there was already a visit from Polarstern mm -hmm. to Dranitsin. If the, the flight weather forecast for today was good, but uh, I haven't got, got the update if it, if it happened. So, so yeah, we, are, and we are then in contact with the people on both ships by email and by mm -hmm. WhatsApp. And and leg two is doing well, or I, I guess leg two is doing well. Um, I think it's more the other way around. The people on the Capitana Nitsin who are just going in. I mean, mm. they have don't have a lot to do, so they are mm. very energetic. They are doing their planning, looking forward to coming there. We are scientists, and we can yeah. always uh, read a paper or write a paper. But if you are on a mission to go to 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 mosaic you want to do that and yes. uh, even you know there are these uncertainties it's um yeah from at least some emails it feels that uh, that people are a little bit uh, maybe struggling is too much but it's it's a bit hard to wait um yeah uh, and uh, stephanie Ahn sent the message that her mu her muesli is going <laughs> it's going gone, gone, gone because yeah. she had planned for kapitan dranitsin to have her, <laughs> her breakfast on her own and now i mean it's that that is running out yes yeah, and and one has to say also that this wasn't done before. I mean, there are nominal thicknesses and conditions from the Russian partners. What they can say, what these ships can break through. Mm -hmm. 
And it was clear that this time of the year it would be on the edge uh, in terms of the thickness where Polarstern is. And, and that is also the, the case. But it's also not like that these ships are normally going there in the middle yes. of winter. Yeah. Nobody goes uh, there. Nobody's yeah. going there. A few years ago, you would not have been able to go there only with the nuclear-powered icebreaker, mm -hmm. which we are unfortunately not having. But with this regular icebreakers you are not going there in the middle of winter so it's yeah it's it's an expedition so they yes. they are on an expedition in, in the project board we are quite confident or also rv logistics that uh, that uh, should be reached in in the next days but n no one can predict it's sea yeah. ice the cool thing about it. it's not very predictable yet it's your job topic i guess but <laughs> we'll be watching that and uh, keeping our listeners updated, updated. Yeah. I think this week or the previous week, there was an update on remote sensing side on uh, the distributed network, like around mm -hmm. Polashten, that due, again, maybe you know more about it, but like due to um, difficult conditions, three of the instruments uh, shut down or like were, were yeah. temporarily dead. What happened there? <laughs> that started already during like like one that um, we have a lot of instruments out there and yes, uh, have a look at the, this web app. So there's a zoo of instruments looks like on, on you would imagine Mars or something like that. And it feels like that uh, being on the ice with this very low lights only from Polarstern. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but yeah, so th these are yeah, then uh, measurement instruments which are designed for Arctic conditions, but are also not like tested for one year in the Arctic. Sure. And it's a lot of electronics and uh, cables and small parts. And you are not having the electronics store just uh, around. And we're we're having about fourteen or so of them, ten a little bit bigger ones. And now three of those are not working anymore. So mm -hmm. most are working. But three broke down, most due to some electronic problems. Can um, they be repaired? Yeah. So for going for out with a screwdriver, or <laughs> no, <laughs> how do you actually, do that? This is actually <laughs> the most of the work people are doing in the remote mm -hmm. sensing team. We have our measurement schedule, and that is actually working. So we made plans before, and that is working quite okay, I would say. But we, especially now, like two, they had to spend much more time on repairs mm -hmm. than I mean, you, for repairs, you're normally not. A we have flex time, so some flexible time in our schedules, but we um, we don't have a fixed time, obviously, for repairs. You don't, you don't know, but they had to do now to work a lot of repairs. So that's what you do in the beginning. But now for two of the instruments, at least, it's clear that one of the electronic boards have to be changed. And one of them, or even I think there's a compu complete computer coming, is now coming in with Kapitan Dranitsin. Mm -hmm. But the second one broke too late so then the ship already had left what were these instruments measuring or like what what is happening now that they're not working yeah, anymore so these, they are radars so basically okay. what we talked before this is a very similar instrument to what is on the satellites making these nice images of the ice flow now we are not making an image but we are measuring just in one direction with a radar and um, yeah then this these two of them broke down and are not doing that anymore and one of them is also to relate what, what Stefan uh, was talking about um, during the last episode about eye thickness. So that was looking again just downward. Um, mm -hmm. And also that instrument, actually the newest instrument we had, had now a, an electrical problem. And yeah, it was identified. It's clear what it is. If we would have been here on land, it would 
be just the time you to order. You would have run it. to the hardware. Nah, we probably would have had ordered it from, had to order it from the manufacturer, but mm -hmm. uh, that would be then just a couple of days until it would be here. But to get it to the North Pole, basically, it's yeah. then taking a it's little bit longer. It's a bit, bit of a long, longer way. Yeah. Not yeah. just send it by mail. Yeah. yeah, Amazon did not reach the North Pole yet. <laughs> not yet. So not yet. We will see how that develops. So <laughs> that is actually, they did a great job. So they get more breakdowns of instruments and most could be repaired on the ship or so then normally the ship electricians and so on are very helpful and something I mean we, we are going there like me scientists uh, very often we are might be actually not the best persons to do all these things yeah we are also thrown into this a little bit we are normally sitting at our desk and writing computer programs but we are not uh, electrician or technician yeah. um, and we have some of those but uh, compared to the scientists which are also needed to design the instruments and we know what we want to measure and so these things we know but most of the work then very often is about the instruments which mm -hmm. we are not actually very often the best persons to uh, to, to, deal to with that. <laughs> yeah we can operate them if they work but if they break down we have to have steep learning curves and learn <laughs> get our basic electronic knowledge back up from whatever we study physics or so it's not like i didn't do any electronics but it's not my usual work i am i'm not an electrician sure so, I mean, remote sensing city is how far away from Polarstern? A um, few hundred meters, 300 meters now. So okay. it had to also be relocated. Um, yes. I forgot if you talked about after that. After that exactly. crack, yes. it moved further. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was maybe the, the biggest things happened during the leg mm. one, which changed now. So I was on the first leg and we had these tremendous uh, movements of the ice. The biggest one was these, which probably in the maximum moved something like 670 uh, to 700 meters within an hour or two hours. So you really see it. So you see your instruments uh, from the bridge just mu moving in front of your eye. And, uh, and you cannot say so, so much for remote sensing. <laughs> you cannot get there because that they are moving means yeah. that there is some crack or um, open water in between, yeah. um, which then we can get over later. But uh, during such storm, this is normally then happening when there is storm or mm -hmm. some um, wind blowing. So yeah, we basically watched it and we were waiting and waiting. So the first was the power on. So we having all our little huts also at the remote sending side. We have a little hut and we always leave the, the light on. And uh, then we were just waiting. Uh, so okay, you how were not in that hut No, no, we were not in the happened. hut. We were on the okay. ship now. This happened actually quite often. It happened during the night, whatever. Um, so night for us means uh, working night. I mean, it was night yeah. all the time anyway, but we had a regular schedule. So during our sleeping time, um, and then we were just watching it and hoping if would these these cables last that we could stay on power. But then at yeah. some point, at least for the, the biggest move in the second one, then the power went out mm -hmm. and not only remote sending side, but also the Met City and Rough City all uh, lost power. And, and how did you feel in that moment? Devastating? Oh, that's hard. Or? It's very hard, actually, because it's so exciting to see the sea ice moving. Mm -hmm. Really, the sound on even having these, this sheer force of nature operating there, which is very fascinating. So it's very hard to get that out of your head. But on the other hand, obviously, you now this will cause now a lot of work. And um, yeah. When this big movement happened um, there, I was quite sure that it wouldn't destroy our instrument. Mm -hmm. 
But then later on, we couldn't also move them very far away because then we had actually the ridges building there, more break ups, and we had to move them further and further on one so ridge. Wait, wait, so it moved away in one direction and then yeah. in the morning you went up after having your eggs and yeah. then and then <laughs> no, what did you do morning, just get out <laughs> yes yeah so then we had to um yeah rescue those instruments in the sense that they were still on the ice how but did well, you get there um, because there was a crack yeah now, there was a crack but we we could get over but we could only get jump. over by no that you normally don't do i mean for jumping one should avoid <laughs> sometimes you can just make a step <laughs> over it Uh, If otherwise, you have such long it, legs, yes, so it I'm would quite be tall. fine. You yes. would be lost, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, no, I, I would be stuck so there. So you, you would jump, whatever. I make a step. No, okay. no uh, don't we, actually what we, what was working most of the time quite well was we, we are having these Nansen sleds, uh, which are quite long sleds you mm -hmm. normally put be behind um, the snow machines. Um, But you, you normally then cannot get over with, with a snow machine anymore, but then you just push uh, the, the sled over it and turn it around, and then you have a quite stable bridge, actually, mm -hmm. you can walk over. I think we saw that on Stefan's photo. We saw the picture, yeah. yeah. So you're building things, and also the carpenter and some people of the logistics team for some of the, the larger cracks we had then in the logistics area, they built a kind of a bridge. And then, yeah, your question was, what we did we yeah, do? Yeah, so you went we, so over that, with a Nansen sledge. Yeah, and we then, went over, but yes. then we are at our instruments. And um, I think also that worked out fine. Most people, so we asked everybody to put their instrument on a sled and most people did. So then we were actually move, able to move the instruments a few meters away from, from the crack or from the dangerous areas to mm -hmm. some thicker ice. Mm -hmm. What was maybe I underestimated in terms of the planning was the cable management because that was then a complete disaster. You could imagine like some people are at least me having this cable box you just throw in your cables and then afterwards you're never getting it out anymore. Yeah. And that's basically what we had. I mean, we had then all these instruments we hoped off all the cables but then they were everywhere in the snow and got completely entangled oh. and um, that took us in a long time to to get all these cables uh, back out well learning uh, by doing next yeah. time you would be <laughs> spotting yeah, but it's now, hard right? enough with your headphones on the train to just disentangle that yes. piece of things like, and, and and you're on and a train and he was not alone there and then uh, that's also hard to fight from um, that I, I found so you're then going there with let, let's say how many were we six or eight people or so and everybody's also very energetic oh we have to rescue the site now mm -hmm. it's very hard actually to get out this energy of being now very fast and everything and moving everything there was no immediate danger but still this whole uh, attitude and, uh, and there was so, so much to, to move everything very fast but then then you're ending up with moving everything but then you have all these cables everywhere no one's taking care of them it's a big mess so that's so uh, what we try manager. to to learn the next time when we move them to keep everybody really calm make plans first handle the cables mm -hmm. then do the movement and not just rush things but yeah. it's um, yeah to, to fight these energy sometimes it's not so easy when when that second leg arrived you did a proper 
it would have been so nice. Hand over. Hand over. Yeah. Yes. We were so well planned. Stefan and I, we did yeah. this really nice cable <laughs> planning. Yes. We were so proud. We had cables up in the air that you can walk under them, <laughs> some little bridges and uh, made all little labels. And so it was really, really nice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, that was again then the full moon time and Kapitan Ranitzin was approaching that day. Actually, the day they approached, we had cracks again and some of them under instruments in the remote sending site. Oh, oh no. So the, the first time we met actually ended up that uh, yeah we, we introduced, we had our introduction. I knew most of them from the remote sending team of LEG2. But after that, then our team from LEG1 had to run out. They still had to do some safety training uh, and had to rescue our instruments again. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, which in that case wasn't so bad. There was only very small cracks, but we couldn't leave them on the cracks yeah. um, because you can, again, not predict how it's evolving. So we had to pull everything back and uh, unplug everything. And you had a cable management plan this yes. time. Yeah, it was much better, much <laughs> yeah. better. And also we were much more, I think, was much more planned what to do and much more in order and so on. So that actually I liked a lot how we did it, but still the result was that we then could only do kind of yeah dry training so we had all the instruments and could say this is this instrument that's how we operated but they were not powered so you saved the remote sensing city in a way and you chose not me alone but yes, yes so all of us your group. Uh, yeah, yeah. and you chose the song someone saved my life tonight <laughs> yeah. and uh, you dedicate the song to the crew to the logistics team and the polar bear guards who always were to there to save your yeah. lives, your and your team lives. Yes, yeah. So the, obviously the, the polar bear guards tr um, have to do that and it's a tough job. Yeah. And for um, rescuing the remote sending city, some of the people from the logistics team will remember that, that they were a tremendous help there. They designed okay. a lot of the things. We had to move the hut, wasn't easy. They had a got lot of good ideas. They also then they were very professional people or people who worked a lot in the Arctic and then could drive with the snow machines and pull out our hut and get it over to the other side of a crack. And I think they had a lot of fun with that, but I'm also <laughs> very much appreciating their help uh, for ha making this happen. And that is only one example. The crew was also amazing, the electricians and everybody, the complete deck hands uh, helping us getting stuff on the ice, uh, repairing cables or here and there. And so it's actually was quite, quite amazed about how good that was. Then we dedicate Someone Saved My Life Tonight by Elton John to the crew, logistics and the non-scientists, we may say, yes. on Polarstern. Yeah. We're still here in the studio of Radio Radio Vesa We didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't run off. Um, this is the ice pod, the podcast about polar science and the people, and the and the official podcast of the Year of Polar Prediction. Correct. You <laughs> almost caught me off guard, <laughs> but then, <laughs> yeah. So, so in this section, Gunnar, we want to um, know a bit more about your role and involvement with Mosaic. So, um, I understood you have been the coordinator of Mosaic remote sensing activities during leg one. Yes? Uh, no, not or only during leg one, in general. So in we, general? Yes. Ah. So we are I'm part of the project board, Yeah. Um, yeah which is, ba is basically five different topical teams, atmosphere, ocean, sea ice, biogeochemistry and ecology. 
and then we're having two more or three more integrating topics, which is modeling, and one is remote sending. And mm -hmm. I'm together with a colleague, Ron Kwok from, from the US, are the coordinator mm -hmm. of this remote sending activities, which are yeah, a little bit bridging all the other topics. Uh, but actually, in the uh, that was a plan or is still the plan. But in the end, in terms of the measurements, at least we are doing, and that is then more also more my personal interest, we are doing then a lot of sea ice mm -hmm. measurement. But uh, satellite data, they are useful for all kind of different disciplines. So also biologists needs to know where are the leads, um, what is the right. different fraction of different ice types, and the same for biogeochemistry or an oceanographer who wants to know how many ridges are here for turbulence, the same for the atmosphere. And these are all things we are then looking at with the satellite data. So that's a, a bit integrative part, like modeling also covering mm. all these d domains. Um, so you're looking at atmospheric data from satellites as it's well? In theory, or it's also part of the list of satellite data we're mm -hmm. having. I'm personally not looking at that, but I'm also coordinating, so I don't have to look at everything. In the end, it turns out that um, in terms of coordination, because all the atmospheric data, these are satellites which are turned on all the time. So the data is basically available. People yeah. know where it is, and yeah. we can provide them some links and if someone has a question, we can provide um, recommendation what data is available. Um, but we don't have to do a lot of work. So most of the work then, uh, again, is mainly about this radar data, which we have to order. So these data sets are not available everywhere, but mm -hmm. um, we have to talk with the space agencies and write proposals and uh, get them yeah, interested in Mosaic, which worked really well. So in the end, we have, uh, it's actually amazing. I don't think it ever happened that uh, so many different space agencies are now targeting one uh, target with satellite data. So we, we have uh, Koreans, uh, now the Argentinians, Germans, US, Japan. Uh, well, you are involved in the Polar Space Task Group. Right, so yeah. you get some interest from there, right? Also, yeah. yeah. So this group, the Polar Space Task group actually where we met yes. <laughs> some years ago. This is a group of people um, representing the space agencies um, looking polar. into polar yeah. regions. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you were representing their mosaic already yeah. by the time, right? Yeah, I mean, that's how we thought we could reach the space agencies easiest, yeah. most easiest through that WMO um, group. And that worked then fine. It's a bit, it took a long time because that, that group is just a meeting and you say, okay, we're yes. doing mosaic, but there's no one who can enforce now that a, spe a specific space agencies is taking any images and giving them for free to us. I mean, that was our yeah. request. We, uh, we, what we said is basically yeah this is a win-win you get um, your data used and you get ev evaluation data validation data and we get your satellite data that we can do science with it and mm -hmm. i think that's mm -hmm. what also most space space agencies then saw because also mosaic it's a, it's a brand now it's quite well known yeah. and so um, yeah people also like to be part of it and actually i think also we can provide quite some cool validation data. So about this validation data, I think we have to explain this again. Maybe we did during the last episode, but so so with the instruments you have now on Remote Sensing City, but also other instruments, yeah. you're getting observations and you kind of compare it to the satellite data. So the space agencies would know better if their satellite data actually are correct. Yeah, yeah is it like that? 
Um, that's one part. I, I would say for the instruments we're having on the ice, it's even not the major part mm -hmm. that we are also, also doing in terms of the larger deployments. You talked about the distributed network already. These, these are observations which are more on the scale of a satellite footprint. Okay. What we then do, and we are a little bit further away, 300 meters away there, we can do some direct comparisons. But again, we are looking at a very small area with all our instruments. And very often that is not large enough to do this calibration. Calibration would be something where you really say we can now characterize perfectly what we are seeing within the satellite footprint and compare it one to one. What we are actually aiming for is like uh, most of the group and also for Earth system modeling is to for process understanding. And that's for many teams what we, we do in Mosaic. We are being only at one spot, but the, um, the processes happening there, these we want to understand. And we want to understand, for example, how if there's a warm weather intrusion, so the, the snow is getting warmer, how do the, the snow um, crystal change, the grain sizes change, and how does, do, does that influence our micro signal? Or we know already it does, mm -hmm. but not exactly in which way. And then we are doing these airborne helicopter campaigns and these are then on a scale which we can much more mm -hmm. easily compare directly to a satellite statistically because then we are flying in a larger area and we, then we are getting surface roughness which is exactly what we would see from a satellite um, in the in the radar domain or in summer we have mm -hmm. visual images exactly then what we would see from a satellite so you did measurements via the helicopter as well you've yes. been on the helicopter together with stefan i guess yeah yeah. Yeah. Sitting in the back. <laughs> yes, we are not the pilots, and <laughs> in, in darkness is actually was also very new for the pilots and the, the technicians. They also have not, never done that. It's, uh, Mosaic is is a first time for many many things, yeah. and one at least for, for Avi, maybe in other um, I don't know the Russians also maybe they do that more often, but at least here for for us it was really new, and also the, the mm -hmm. um, helicopter companies to do that and. Helicopter flights were also one of the biggest new things uh, in, in, in during the night I had. It's it's actually quite bright around Polash and it's quite powerful flashlights and always pointing where you are working. But then if you're flying with a helicopter away from Polash and you're, you're in a helicopter but flying in complete darkness, you don't see anything. You, mm -hmm. you have to really concentrate looking out of the window if it's cloudy to maybe see a little bit changes of gray below you, but you don't see where the ground is. You only know so from the... So you don't see the nothing, sea eyes? Nothing. Like, but what are helicopter flights then for? I mean, you okay, you have your instruments attached to the helicopter. Yeah. And this these, is what... And the, uh, these but otherwise you we, cannot... We stopped, so we had cameras. We stopped doing uh, the normal camera measurements because it was just dark. They don't yeah. give yeah, any information. Yeah, no point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we, we have lasers, a laser scanner, mm -hmm. or, um, doing the same like we discussed before, basically giving us the, the runtime between the satellite and, and uh, the helicopter and the ground. And then we can infer the roughness or the undulation of their ridges or leads of the, in the sea ice by, by scanning it with the, with the laser, which uh, goes back and forth. And we had an infrared camera. We talked about that um, mm -hmm. thermal emission where we then can see if there are thin ice, we see the warm ocean under the ice as a very strong signal. And so we can monitor 
um, how big are the leads and also roughly how thick is the ice. Do you enjoy the helicopter part? Of yes. The <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, sure, after a long flight, it, it can also be boring. But in general, especially this was new, the flying in the dark. And that was now what I described was the one very, very dark flight, cloudy not so clear flight condition with a little bit snow we then also had to go a little bit different direction i have to ask the question, the question. at this point right. and, and gonna sort of guess yeah i'm always expecting it i listen to your podcast exactly the jacket <laughs> yes. he did his job you know listening to the but that's why right. episodes that's why right. right. yes I did. I did. So. yeah so uh, yeah, I, I've, we, got a, I've got a jacket. Uh, I, I bought a jacket, um, which we had to do. So there were no free jacket given. And well, then you could choose a team. And I was part or I am part of the ice team. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. So obviously another an ice joining the ice team. And, <laughs> and uh, one has to give the credit here to actually Marcel Nikolaus, who's um, one of the leaders of uh, the ice team, who actually even came up with that idea of jacket. Now, T-shirts you can buy on board. So there's a little ah. shop on board, Polarstein. You can buy a mosaic T-shirt and actually also a hoodie. And so yeah. th in the shop on Polarstein, you can buy them. I mm -hmm. hope you cannot buy them anywhere else. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so they're so exclusive. Otherwise, it's a bit like, what's the point? <laughs> yes, exactly. You only have it if like you are there. Like NASA T-shirts you get now. Everywhere. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. At H&M. Like, yeah. No, you're, you don't work for NASA. You probably never will. <laughs> no. <laughs> get over it. So, yes. Yeah. So but the other jackets, the team jackets, that was actually more a private initiative. Um, mm -hmm. And we had that first in the ice team and then many people liked that. And then, yeah, basically Marcel offered to, to organize it uh, more that people could order that oh, for their okay. team. Okay. I'm so happy that everybody before likes the ice <laughs> so much. So <laughs> ice is nice. So. Yes. <laughs> we are fans of ice here. So we have to advocate for the ice. Yes. Maybe we have to get someone on this podcast that was on a different team at this point. Because yes, yes I think so. So actually, we have to clarify one thing about the jacket. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about the jacket with Stefan Hendricks, who was on the previous episode. So Stefan did not have a jacket, but he's on the team sea ice, which yes. is obvious. Yes. Working with Gunnar on sea ice, remote sensing stuff. We figured that both of you, Stefan and you, are a having a lot of co-author papers. Do we? Not a lot. Ah, a few. No, no, not together. Maybe yeah. Together, maybe. But in general, you you are a lot of co-authoring other papers, and we were wondering if that has come with the nature of remote sensing, so that other <laughs> okay. people are are using your data, you know, and mm. then you you become a co-author of that paper, or. Yes, I, have no, I, I would have to think about it. So do you, are, you would say that it's more than for other people you normally talk to? I mean, if I see, if I look on your publication list, it's, I mean, it's, it's long. I haven't <laughs> counted them, but it's many, many papers where you're co-authoring. Yeah, I, I think, yes, and some, uh, for some papers, definitely your explanation is right. So yeah. then... Um, yeah, because uh, there are some papers, paleo um, um, papers f about sea ice and ocean, 
um, or also ecological uh, ecology papers. Or mm -hmm. now I'm we are hopefully having out now a paper about birds in Antarctic. And these are papers which are not in my domain. Yes. And these are then exactly what we just talked about. These are then this interdisciplinary work where then someone needs some sea ice data, which then very often comes for a longer time series from remote sending in a way which we are not publishing on our website. Yeah. And then you are getting into a collaboration. I actually mm -hmm. like and um, also this request of someone needs something to do this interdisciplinary work. But there I learn the most. The other things, um, many things I already know, but the interdisciplinary papers is where you will then get a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And very often you are not diving into that on your own so much. But if you are then getting into such a collaboration, then um, yeah, you have to, or, and also it's then interesting to 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 get a little bit deeper um, involved in in some other field. Yeah. So it could be the other part. Then I would say for myself, then is um, yeah having now since since five years this re research group. Then that there are many PhD students writing papers, okay. which are yeah. then co-authoring yeah. and. Before we hear the next song. We have one other pressing question. Press. Well, yeah, uh, mosaic takes takes place one year one year around. That's me that means that there is a good chance that you might celebrate some of the festivities or like some of the big festive days on board. Yeah, and you did. Yeah. You did, exactly. Right. Were you on, already on Dranitsyn yes, by then? Yes, for Christmas. Uh, at my birthday, actually, on, on board of uh, Polarstern. When uh, is your birthday? 15th of December. 15th? Okay, so ah. close enough. Uh, to you, to yes, is that, what is that? Is that Schütze? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and how, what did you do? What, how did you celebrate on, on board? Oh, I mean, there are many birthdays, there are 100 people on board, I mean, including the crew. Uh, did you get an extra egg? Or yeah, how does it work? Uh, even, even better. <laughs> so yes, uh, you, you get a gift. Oh, oh, what was it? What was it? It's a it's a glass kind of a I don't know what that is. It's a whiskey or cocktail whiskey glass. glass or something like that uh, with nice. mosaic. Oh, uh, they have a mosaic whiskey glass. Yeah, and you actually only get it to uh, for your birthday. I think you cannot, or I know you cannot at least not buy it there in the the shop. And huh. then yeah, the was cruise that leader communicated before no, so no, no. that people would schedule their no. legs. No. <laughs> With birthday, yeah. just to get the whiskey exactly. glass. <laughs> and I have to say, uh, there's one. So maybe that's also about interdisciplinary and coming together because you only get one glass. So what does one do with one glass? So actually, you you're supposed to drink people, alone. Uh, two, two people who have birthday to have a party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's my only complaint about that gift. <laughs> now it's really nice. So. About Christmas now. So you. We're already on Kapitan Dranitsin. Yes, so that was then actually nicely organized here uh, on land. Also, there they, they sent a lot of Christmas things on Dranitsin. So there were Christmas trees, uh, so plastic ones or so, but two, yeah, two Christmas trees. So and they brought that from Tromsø? Or not, yeah, from, from, yeah, from Tromsø, but maybe even from Bremerhaven. I don't know ah. where it was bought. And there were a lot of sweets, so Christmas sweets. And were really the nicest people there on Ranitsin, especially in the kitchen, the, the woman, two women there, we, we had to help them sometimes with the, the cleaning of the dishes. It was really, really nice. They really, they remembered our names or write, wrote them down and it was really good. 
Um, the only thing I would have liked for for Christmas was really there was nothing special. Yeah, I was requested mm. if we could have a little bit uh, Christmas dinner or so, mm. and that seems wasn't I don't know possible or so. So that was, yeah. So we had then really to do the Christmas party on our own um, after the regular dinner. Then we came together as a common room with a little bar and so on. And the people actually did did a lot of good things. Practiced Christmas songs. So we yeah. had some Christmas carol th- singing, and we had really nice uh, Santa Claus with some elves and a Grinch. Who was the Santa Claus? Uh, it was Mike um, from Avi Potsdam. Okay. He was doing a... Yeah, I have to ask him, invite him. He can <laughs> tell you about his Chris Santa Claus. We should. Uh, <laughs> we should. Now really, super so he curious. was a really grumpy uh, Santa <laughs> Claus. So it was a lot of fun when he is sending out the presents. So th- we, um, that was also nice. Uh, so we everybody was invited to do to bring some present, uh, pr- present at least a sign. So we, we brought two presents, one Before for, for so Before we were asked to, to buy some things, yeah. uh, small gifts, actually two, one for the scientists, one for the crew. So that then at that evening, they had this ba- big bag of all the, the mm-hmm. presents, which then just could be, we handed out that everybody got a little surprise present. So you mm-hmm. didn't know what you get. Okay. So on a festive a- note, yeah. we have a very, very dancey like song coming up yes. now from the movie Pulp Fiction and that's You Never Can Tell by Chuck Berry. I love this the song. I really I, I really wanted to play it on, yeah. on the on the episode and I love the movie of course. Yeah, and that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean if you think of Pulp Fiction you probably think of this yes. scene or like yeah, some others, but this is one. Yeah, of and, the I, best. and we watched Pulp Fiction on board, as, and it was I watched it a lot of times before, but now it was after quite some time that I saw it again. Uh, so. Okay, so it's Chuck Berry with You Never Can Tell. Okay, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> With the ice pot with Gunnar Spreen. And um, so, as this is the official podcast for the Year of Polar Prediction, yes. we want to know, of course, a little bit about your relation or contributions to YOP, Year of Polar Prediction. So, we know that you're involved in not only Mosaic, which is a YOP endorsed project, but also the AC3 project is a, yeah. is a right. YOP endorsed project. You, you mentioned AC3, mm-hmm. um, which has a strong modeling component and it's about. Arctic amplification understanding. That's basically um, Arctic amplification. If we understand that, you understand a lot about the the Arctic climate system. And there we actually, we're having really projects where um, our group, my group uh, on the satellite side are working together, for example, with Annette Rinke from AVI doing regional modeling. Okay. And, so, and yeah. Um, yeah, so you're having, you're having a regional model and it produces something. But you then also want to know, okay, how does that compare to observations? And then again, satellite observations are probably the most useful and easiest to compare to because you have the same spatial domain and very often mm-hmm. also the same temporal domain. So you're having observations every day and you're having it everywhere where your model is also producing some of the parameters. The good thing about the model then is that you're getting everything and you could also look then in the processes, why is something happening, which very often we cannot do with the satellite data. And in the model, you can go back further uh, to the back or that's not what I'm doing now, but what one many people in Africa do are doing predictions or forecasts mm-hmm. or whatsoever, mm-hmm. looking into the future. But yeah, you either want to just have compared the two 
climate time series mm. and for satellites we can produce yeah really nice climate time series now of more than 30 years so we are really having now time series which are without any doubt on on a climate time scale and where we are really seeing a climate signal and this very strong decline mm. in sea ice area and now we know also mass and the same you want to know in the model um, or you can assimilate data into your model. Together. So the numbers we talked before, the numbers that are produced from the satellite data, how do they feed into the model? Can you yeah, explain that? So there are different, different ways, but yeah, mm -hmm. the easiest would be um, you have you want to, to look um, how you're, you want to do a forecast. So you put in your data today, you, you run your model a little bit, and then you pull basically your, your model always a little bit towards some of your data. But you don't observe everything. So these would be only a few parameters of your mm -hmm. model, and everything else will also adapt in, in some way to match your data. And then you would uh, assume that you now have a better starting point for your prediction that would be one one example what you could do that would be in terms of forecasting what is done in the atmosphere all the time yeah you put all the data you are having right now into mm -hmm. your model and then you do a short-term forecast based on the best observations you're having it's one option another is what at least in the ocean um or yeah, in the, in the atmosphere it's very often called reanalysis or state estimates where you put all your data into that in in the past so you mm. you measured that but then you would want to know the complete climate system we, don't, we cannot measure the complete climate system so we need the model for that where all the processes all the physics are basically in that but you want to be it as correct as possible mm -hmm. so if you then have all your observations and want to match your model as good with these observations you yeah we will look back in time basically and develop a model which is always adapting a little bit to your observations that stays okay. most close to mm -hmm. that. And then you would say, now we have the best estimate of, of our climate for the last, whatever, 30 years. And it's not data, it's not measured, it's a model, but it's driven by data. From your point of view, remote sensing, what are the issues in your field that told the community back to provide really reliable sea ice forecast yeah first is what you, uh, this is always the, the what you want to forecast so we, mm -hmm. we we were now a mosaic on the ship and we had all these cracks no one knew where they are so you yeah. so we, we, can, we can forecast the ice edge quite okay um so this for first order forecast already now they are working quite okay this is driven by the wind field and as long as your atmospheric forecast for the next few days are is good and nowadays yeah we are trying to improve it like to mm. through, through job two you you get that but no one can really predict or now nah, it's much harder to predict where a crack would open mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back to the, the brittle nature of, of of the sea ice so everything is freezing but it's um it's not a complete solid it's a little bit brittle media and then you force it so you have the ocean below it which is pushing on all these ridges and the sea ice itself you have the wind pushing in another direction you have tides so so there's a, a stress field built up which at some point will break the ice and then you have a crack but is that ever going to be forecasted? Such yeah, a little crack exactly, in the ice? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> such a little crack. So, yeah, exactly. So th there you see when you were asking what is so yeah. so hard. So that is very, yeah. very hard. Okay. Uh, and I think we need uh, two things. So we need the understanding. So we need the observations. Actually, how often do these cracks appear? In which direction? How do they intersect? Does that agree with our theory? And then we need yeah an improvement 
in the models itself, in the physics of the model itself, and there um, are now some improvements. I had another question, maybe less related to the modeling, but more on, on well, YAP and its uh, obje overall objective. So how do you think this initiative is making a difference? Like, w would it be any different having YAP or not having YAP? Or what do you think is the strength of doing such a, you know, long, long initiative, bringing people together, discussing every year, as we did last week at the science workshop? What is what is the added value, maybe, if if there is anything you're feel to say, you know, <laughs> it's it's no. Yeah, obviously, it's always hard to say if we don't know what ha would happen without it. But uh, you just mentioned it. I mean, uh, science is about talking together and developing ideas, and for that you have to meet, you have to talk about that. And that also means, yeah, you need some funding and some coordination and some umbrella to do it under. Um, I think many of the things now done in Europe, people do on the regular basis too. But now they're coming together mm -hmm. where they have specific observing periods, having then an even yeah, bigger experiment like Mosaic with a lot of measurement where now everybody can focus on and um, learn from different sides. I mean, one would hope that, they, that people are doing different things, but looking at the same problem from different sides and by that learning. And if there were just, well, I mean, hopefully there won't be just one good outcome of, of yeah, but if you had to, to prioritize maybe, what would you wish would be there either for the community or very practically in matters of like model development or or any whatever related to uh, the YAP activities, what you what would you wish yourself to have at the end of, of YAP? Yeah, so, so I cannot say it in a very general way. For me, from the CI side, um, sure, then I'm, I'm interested in pushing the edge of what we can forecast for, for CIs on short to medium timescales. And um, yeah, this is done since a long time, but I think actually also from the CI side, very often what I see is that uh, the, the forecast of sea ice is dominated by the quality of the atmospheric model you are having. You're having some sea ice physics there, but if you're having a decent forecast of where a storm is coming through, or then this will be also good sea ice forecast. But mm -hmm. the details of the sea ice, so it really matters for also operations. That's where is the lead, or at least where is the higher chance of leads are building or ice pressure of building up um, ridges of building up which you couldn't navigate through, but also for science then, yeah, where where it would be the elite openings, where would be then the exchange between the ocean and the atmosphere. These things, and this is not so good yet in, in some of the models and also in terms of the data side, also again from satellite data, we can improve. Okay, you brought another song, Monster Magnet. Space Lord. space Lord. So you said you so would feel sometimes like Space Lords yes. on the ice, right? Yeah, you can actually have asked Stefan that then after me if we <laughs> felt like Space Lords and <laughs> think sometimes yes. Uh, yes, the going out there uh, to these remote sensing sites and but also actually to the Met City with all these strange instruments and lights in the darkness looked out of space. It is 
also I think because of these very flat flashlights from from Polarstern and your own headlamps where you have then long shadows on all these ridges and instruments mm. and they are moving, they are scanning, going up and down and they are stopping then. So we are programmed. I mean, we, we know as I did it, we programmed them like that, that they are scanning and stopping and so on. But then mm. sometimes it was really like a, a dance of instruments on moon uh, when you went there with the snow blowing through it. And so, yeah. And you Lots of the that. space. Yeah, I love it. Sure, I enjoyed that. We are back in the studios of Radio Visa TV in Bremerhaven. And we are talking with Gunnar Spreen from the University of Bremen. So now it's the my favorite part of the episode, I have to say, <laughs> which is when we ask our guests uh, the questions that the previous guest Uh, thought about on the previous episode. So we had Stefan Hendricks from AVI last time who came up with a very peculiar question and I'm really curious to hear the answer to this. And it's, uh, if you had the power, what would you change about the culture you live in? Which is not as, and we specifically ask, is it not, it's not necessarily the scientific culture. Yeah. So But you I, can, of course, <laughs> narrow it down because... I guess yeah. I, I have to... I, I mean, I just actually <laughs> got the... or thought about that question now during the last song. Um, and yeah, there, there probably one can talk a, a long time about that in, in a, on a more general th thing. What what would I change in the culture we are living in here or I'm living in, in Germany? Yeah, I just thought about it. So maybe one particular thing or what I was a bit thinking about lately was about the not the science culture especially, but we are, I mean, we are there. And the, the, the topic of mosaic is about climate understanding in the Arctic. Um, in, in all our proposals, we write actually a lot about that, that the, uh, the motivation and actually also what we are doing. But then there's also the so societal part of that. Um, and if I am now was on the ship um, there, we also talked about that actually we are not discussing that a whole lot as a, not as a science talk of culture, we are discussing the science of uh, climate change a lot and it's accepted and so on, but, but not uh, anything beyond that. What does that mean for our lives or also how is our view on what consequences our findings should have for maybe also us on, on the ship or in general, um, the, the society. I'm not saying, or I'm not even a big, big advocate of that, that the scientists should be now the people driving that. We, we should deliver the facts and should always discriminate be between that. But that doesn't mean that we, at least also between ourselves, should discuss that also maybe some, sometimes a bit more critical or at all. Sometimes you have the feeling that being beyond all um, climate scientists, it's less talked about mm -hmm. that than if you would go on a regular bar here and uh, listen to people um, and it's quite political. But I don't have the feeling that in the evening we are very much um, critically or mm. at all um, discussing this, that. I wonder why that is, maybe because it's then also a little bit um, interfering or getting close to our work and then, yeah, I don't know. I don't have the perfect explanation, but if, if the question is what, what culture you would like to change, then maybe I... I would, more, more including myself, um, yeah. sometimes appreciate that. Um. But are there other discussions on, on Polarstern? I mean, if you're sitting in the bar and yeah, I mean, it's... Discussion, <laughs> no, you're talking about something. Yeah, huh? It's not yeah. like people mm. are... Yeah. <laughs> you're staring at each you know, other. <laughs> and, you know, at, at when we, you know, when our family <laughs> celebrates birthday, it could end up quite often with some sideways <laughs> schnapps 
on some really, I don't know, political discussions, but mm -hmm. that I never really experienced with colleagues. I mean, yeah, maybe I, I it's agree. the generation also. Mm -hmm. that I, that's I, I don't, don't know. know, but I, I agree. Maybe one could frame it even bigger that in general, maybe p political discussions are not such a typical thing. I mean, th there's a lot of different cultures there, which very likely you will also have quite different points of view. I mean, sometimes you're also a bit careful, but I think actually climate change shouldn't be any of the issues where you should be careful. That would be yeah. something else. We can hire the random annoying, uh, annoying person yes, that goes around and, <laughs> just, and just ask the, the tricky questions. I, I would guess I would try to protect myself from also creating confrontational situation given that you're in, in the ship in the middle of the ocean and you have nowhere else to go right good point, it's, good it's, point. You, you, then you have to see this person again like the day after and like yeah. oh, maybe you know, the, the, the dynamic yeah. but then as you said it's probably it should be in general more present yeah. probably like, actually, I don't know yeah, it's not Confrontational. And yeah. not confrontational uh, exactly, exactly. you're discussing under friends so that should be fun yeah. and not not um confrontation <laughs> yeah and so now we would like to turn this back to you so if you could be here uh next time with this with our next guest what would you like to know from this person yeah i also only uh, thought about that shortly but i think yeah what i would like to know um for the person then who's probably was on on board of the ship what was the maybe the first thing or the most unexpected thing they have learned during Mosaic and could be science, but could be also about themselves. Um, so what was, what basically what, what hit you most when you were there or the first thing when you stepped on the ice, which was maybe completely different uh, than you expected? Good. Um, what was your best moment or unexpected moment? Um, I think was when I was on the ice, so we talked about this ice deformation and there was one incident where there was already rich and new rich and then we went there and some people were standing on the other side and we were mm -hmm. just talking about that actually, how we get over that and then it started moving again and it, it's episodic that movement and then it was again we were talking and suddenly the person <laughs> just 10 meters in front of me was moving to my left oh my uh, with at least a few meters per <laughs> second. That was probably one and then I don't know if maybe Stefan or someone else mentioned that when there was one very particular moment on the bridge when these ice deformation happened and this was surreal so news are traveling through the ship uh, at some speed yeah you, you are not looking outside all the time but at some point yeah you know there's a storm and you hear oh now the ice is moving moving more and more people are getting on the bridge it was maybe already 10 or so a little bit later 11 in the evening and around us, it was moving in all directions. Ridges were building, you have the squeaking sound. Um, yeah, it was the wind blowing and we saw our instrument moving. And so someone even said, that is so surreal. Now the most surreal thing would be if there would be a polar bear coming by. And guess yeah. what? I mean, 10 okay. minutes later, oh. 
<laughs> the two polar bears actually there are many of these pictures already yeah. they came by they didn't destroy anything but they really then even that evening with all these ice movements then circled around the ship a, a mother with a pup and so that you, you cannot you cannot invent that <laughs> there was so much energy you, you yeah. it was uh, okay. there, the, the, it cannot be described or I cannot describe but there was su such an energy there from people feeling what the nature is doing so yeah maybe these two uh, at least a bit special moment and the helicopters I told you about that was also good I think we are at the end <laughs> We would like to thank Gunnar for coming here and taking you. your fun. time, you. <laughs> talking to us, telling yes. us about many things. I think I learned a lot again. <laughs> That's the beauty of doing a podcast. Yeah. You, I always learn new stuff, depending on the person you have in front of. Like they're all different, right? Yeah. So yeah. they mm -hmm. have all their perspectives. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. It's really enjoying it with both of you. And we thank Radio Weser TV for us having here. Yeah, for the help, <laughs> the technical yes. stuff, and also for just, yeah, letting us stay here. Also very late hours, yeah. <laughs> very late working hours. So thank you. We have one last song, which is also a beautiful one. And <laughs> I think you mentioned that uh, the... The TV show, The Stranger Things, we and the the this version of the song was featured there, and I and it was like, oh yes, I was very excited about oh, it. Oh, you and saw it too? Okay. Yes, yes. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> it was, I it was one of my dark holes <laughs> with, with TV series, but yeah. So Stranger Things, if you d if you haven't watched it, no, nope. you should. Oh my yes. God, what are we even talking about? <laughs> and even if you like, it's for people from the eighties anyway. <laughs> But yeah, so the song is Heroes, but the version from Peter Gabriel. Why did you choose that? Yeah, I mean, you basically just said it. Huh? I mean, Heroes um, from David Bowie, we also were listening to, like, I guess many people do on many occasions, really great song on board. And the end, going back on from Dranitsyn, I remember one evening where we were listening to that. And then after I came back, I watched Stranger Things. And Stranger Things, it's really, Mosaic is also a Stranger Thing. So, uh, and I liked that it was the last song of the series. So I put it as the last song here too in the version of Peter Gabriel, which it's, I liked a lot and it's a bit different. Yeah. And with everybody else, we see each other in a month from now. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. The iSpot is produced by the Year of Polar Prediction International Coordination Office. With the technical support of Radio Visa TV, as well as the support by the communication team of Mosaic and the Alfred Wegener Institute. Editorial responsibility is with Kirstin Werner and Sara Pascoletto. Our theme music is composed by Kevin McLeod, available on incompetech.com. For any questions, please contact us at polarprediction at gmail.com. I mean, we, in the end, we decide what's exactly. going on so here. should I trust you? I don't know you guys you so, so well. <laughs>